Welcome to the Person and the Power podcast with Pastor Tim Johnson, as he invites us to cultivate a deep and profound relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living and loving God. After 25 years of ministry, Pastor Tim's desire is that all of us would experience both the Spirit's transformational intimacy and the supernatural activity in our daily lives. Now, here's Pastor Tim. So this podcast probably needs to carry with it a trigger warning. A lot of times I'll share stories and hopefully a little lighthearted, even some humor. This one will have some of that, but it will also touch on a, a really serious topic, and that is suicide. A topic, unfortunately, that I think has become more than just a topic for many of us. It's a reality in our families' lives and our uh, some of our friends, maybe. So again, uh, prayerfully and by God's grace and mercy, a trigger warning as we jump in to this podcast, all centered around one verse, Romans 8, 28. Could be known as almost the, the verse of all verses in Romans 8. There's a ton of them. But this is a verse that a lot of people quote, some I think misquote. So we'll jump into that here in just a little bit. So my nephew's name was Jeff. We were, as the old saying used to go, thicker than thieves. Joanne, my oldest sister, we um, we would she would they would live in they lived in New York at the time, and during the summer months, goodness, eight nine years, ten years old, eleven years old, they would come down. Uh, I think sometimes once a year, but we Pam and I, my sister and I, would just couldn't wait to see Kim and Jeff. Kim was the sister, and Jeff was the brother, and uh, my niece and my nephew, and we just couldn't wait couldn't wait. We got into all kinds of trouble. We we had all kinds of adventures. We went uh, exploring every summer uh, in a field that we used. To, I used to run my dogs in and used to explore all the time before they, of course, now built it up into a subdivision. But we would have picnics in the backyard. We'd go camping out in tents and uh, things outside in the backyard. We would have just, I mean, it would be literally probably the highlight of my summer would be to connect with and have fun with and and just have this great experience with with Kim and Jeff and and uh, again Joanne uh, would uh, you know of course come and and we would visit for at least a week maybe a little bit longer and now that didn't mean we didn't get into arguments as all nephews and nieces and uncles would get into or cousins or brothers and sisters so we had quote sibling rivalry from time to time. Uh, but man, we had fun. We had a blast. And by far, by far, the number of laughs and the moments of humor and the incredible adventures far, far outweigh any kind of, even, I don't, I'm not even sure if, if pressed, I could tell you a time where we, you know, a specific where we had arguments. There were times I remember, but I can't even tell you the specifics because again, the things that outweighed them were the fun times and the incredible, uh, great conversations and great explorations and great adventures that kids 9, 10, 11, 12 years old in the summertime you know, can't wait to get into. And I heard a quote, a little bit off topic, we'll come right back, but um, jump in, jump out. But I heard a quote just the other day. Wow, really, really good. Again, I'm 59 years old. I remember what it was like to have summer break. From school, I remember not being the the fondest 
uh, lover of school, not being the greatest fan of being cooped in school. I was not the greatest student of all, so I just remember always waiting. Couldn't wait to summer break, and summer break was a break. Three months, right? June, July, and August, we didn't. We got out late May. We didn't go back until after Labor Day. And so three full, beautiful, rich, free months of summer, 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 and so couldn't wait. And I heard a quote just the other day, that should be how we anticipate Jesus' return, like a kid who used to anticipate summer break. Couldn't wait for the freedom, couldn't wait for the fun, couldn't wait for those three glorious months of basically just perfection. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So that's how I always viewed visits from Jeff and Kim and, of course, my sister Joanne. Obviously, we got older and we went our own different ways. And Jeff became great. He was a big strapping young man. He he grew past his uncle. So as almost everyone in my family, one of the weird things is I'm probably the sh- I'm six, barely six one, right at six one, and I'm the shortest guy in the family. And there's even ladies, there's even women in my family uh, who are at least as tall as I am or pretty close to as tall. Kim is one of them. Uh, my niece, uh, Jessica, is another one of them. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the, at six, almost one. I'm, you know, of course you, you hear that, right? <laughs> I, I've learned that in my family. I'm six, almost one. <laughs> so anyway, kind of like a kid who uh, can't wait to get older. He's, he's, He's not 15, he's almost 16, right? So anyway, Jeff and Kim and me and Pam blast had a blast in the summer. Time, you know, happened and, and life happened. And, and things happened with Jeff's life that uh, got into some situations, I won't go into details here, but where he really did feel cornered, felt cornered by life. And... um it was, uh, yeah, we, over the span of his early 20s, uh, making some decisions. Now, he was a Christian, had professed Christ, uh, was involved in the church. And so um, that's going to challenge some of your theologies right now uh, here in just a little bit. It's going to challenge you, I think. But, but he was a Christian. I loved, loved the Lord. But got into a situation where he felt like, again, life had cornered him. He didn't feel like he had too many options with with what was facing him and what was facing him was true unfair partly part of his consequences partly because of other things involved in in in, in his life so uh, there's a combination of both wasn't just one or the other as many times we faced this mean old world as my mama used to say mean old world getting meaner that we would you know we face a lot of things that yes life brings at us but we also face a lot of things that we do upon ourselves, that we, we put ourselves in situations that, consequentially that we, uh, yeah, we, we could have made a better decision, right? So she, he's, he finds himself in this position. Fast forward for just a moment, we'll come back to Jeff. But uh, what happened in my life in 1997 was pivotal. Most of you, if not all of you, uh, you've heard my testimony or parts of it. Uh, May uh, the 10th of 1997, I, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ at a Promise Keepers meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, it was it was incredible. It was transformative. I still remember almost every nuance of that day. I, I remember the, 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 the sights, the sounds, the smells, 
the tears, the snot. I remember it all. I remember the confession. I remember the joy. I remember the worship. I remember some of the songs that we actually sang. I mean, I, those, that, those, those 24 to, to, to 30 hours were, I mean, seared in my brain. And, and so good, good, good moments where, again, I received salvation and eternal life. And I was delivered. In many ways, I was delivered from so many things in my life, but not delivered, not only delivered from, but delivered to, right? There's two-part deliverance, two sides of the same coin. You're delivered from hell, delivered to heaven. You're delivered from sin. You're delivered to sainthood. You're delivered from uh, the, the, the eternal punishment, you're delivered to eternal reward. You're so you, you get the drift. So, so there's a lot of deliverance happening in a salvation a moment, right? So I gave my life to Christ May the 10th of 1997. So I'd been a Christian for a whopping, not even two months when, um, I got the news when we all got the news, um, that Jeff had committed suicide. I don't remember exact date. It was either the very, very last of June or the very first of July of that year. So again, 1997, the very, very last of June or the very, very first of July. Um, and I still remember, and I won't go into details on what happened. I, I will, t- I will tell you that, that again, um, there was a, there was a real, sense of life has cornered him, right? Life had cornered him. He didn't know a way out. And again, uh, is there always a way out through Christ? Amen. But sometimes our, our very, um, our mental health, we get blinded, don't we? We get, you know, the things of our hearts and the emotions of our heart, get, they, they fog our, our vision, whether it's physical vision or spiritual vision or emotional or mental vision. We just get blinded. And so Jeff had been blinded by the fact there were no options left except to take his life. And so there was intentionality in that. And, and what I mean by that is there was a planning period and then there was a note that he left. He left a note. And um, I remember reading the note. I remember hearing the news. And I was just crushed. I, I still remember just as almost as vivid as I remembered uh, six, seven weeks earlier when I'm at a riverfront stadium, old riverfront stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio, giving my life to Jesus on that Friday night and, and worshiping with all my heart on Saturday and, and coming home on late Saturday night. And even that Sunday morning, um, I, I remember those moments so clearly and so distinctly. But I remember this moment as well. I remember hearing the news and I, I went to the to the bathroom where we were in Centerville, Indiana, I went to the bathroom and, and literally laid down on the bathroom floor and kind of curled myself around the toilet um, because I felt so sick to my stomach and I, I, I didn't even know what else to do. I, I, I literally at that moment felt crushed. I felt as if my world, my life had, had just kind of exploded. Again, Jeff and I had not been in great contact with one another over the last few years, but all the memories came flooding back, all the times that we had gone uh, uh, adventure uh, backpacking or adventure 
uh, hiking, our adventure camping, our adventure uh, trailing in the backwoods and of our house. And, and uh, I mean, I just, all the times that we would do all the things that kids would do and all the great, great, great moments that made summer so special in my eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 year old life. And um, all those moments came flooding back and, and it literally was just the greatest kick in the gut that I think I remember really, maybe not still to this point, but certainly at that point, right? I mean, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a seven week old Christian guys. Seven-week-old Christian, I don't have a box for this, right? I don't have a I don't have a theological box for this, which is where we're going to go here in just a moment. Um, I love my brothers Brad and, and Michael. I love them. At that point, at that point, um, Jeff I considered to be a, a brother as well. At that point, I, I, Jeff was kind of like more than you know. We we're so close in age, even though I was Uncle Timmy. Uh, he was he was like a brother to me. And I knew that there are some issues beforehand. I, you know, all the second guessing happens, right? Could I have said something? Should I have noticed this? You know, all of that. And um, I do remember a road trip uh, to New York um, to, uh, to be with Joanne, my sister, and be with Kim and, and uh, for the funeral. I remember that road trip. I think it was early. In fact, I know it was early July of 1997. And while that was healing and that was closure, it sure left a lot of things open. A lot of things open. Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. I'll say it again. Read it again. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Incredible, beautiful verse. I do think so many times we, 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 we go too far with this verse. So here's the thing. You know, early, like I said, I didn't have a box for Jeff's suicide. But I really struggled with this idea. Okay, I'm saved. I get saved. And I had contemplated suicide. I had toyed with the idea of suicide. I had planned my suicide. I had, I had attempted my suicide. Right before those 18 months before coming to Christ. I had done that. I had done that. So I remember still to this day, to this very moment of doing this podcast, I remember clinging to the toilet and thinking, why did you save me, God? But you couldn't save Jeff. Or you didn't save Jeff. I didn't have a box. I'm seven-week-old Christian. I'm a seven. I am a newborn Christian. And I did not have a box. All I knew is I loved Jesus and Jesus loved me and I wanted to tell the world. That's it. That's all I knew. I was, I had felt like I was called into some kind of ministry. And, and that was it. Those were the big three things. I knew Jesus loved me. I loved Jesus and felt like he was calling me into ministry. So I had no box. I had no theological, uh, 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 any kind of guidelines, any kind of guardrails for this. And, and so I, I just want to invite us. I don't have a perfect answer here, but I want to invite us to just think and pray through this. 
I've got some dear friends. In fact, purposely, purposely this year, I have listened to my devotional schedule. Early in the morning, my devotional schedule includes Blackaby, Experiencing God. Come on. Uh, it is uh, also a three-day Bible study, a three-day Bible study um, that, or I'm sorry, a three-year, sorry, different, a three-year Bible study where I am going through the entire Bible. I will have read the entire Bible in three years, but an intentional study. This is just for me, not for Bible, not for preaching and not for Bible, but this for me. And then third is Charles Spurgeon's Morning by Morning. So, and, and by the way, that Bible study is based on Wesley's Bible study. So I've got, I've got Henry Blackaby, I've got Charles Wesley, and I've got Charles Spurgeon. Okay, If you know anything about any of those three giants of, 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 of faith, they all represent different theological perspectives. Spurgeon represents the most probably far in idea of predestination in the sense that God is in charge of all things and maybe even does all things. Wesley, John Wesley, would be quite the opposite in, some, in that sense, where free will has to come into play. Free will has to come into play. So there's free will, and then there's God's will. There's, there's, there's man's chaotic choice, and there's the sovereignty of Almighty God. And I think forever there will be a mystery there. I think forever there will be a mystery there. I've shared this, uh, this image with Joshua Center class uh, not too long ago, and, and I think it's appropriate, and I think it's, I think it's helpful, at least for me it is, because I still struggle. I read these devotions from Charles Spurgeon, uh, and I'm thinking, whew, I mean, uh, Spurgeon is clear. God's in charge of everything, and God brings stuff in your life and kind of causes it to happen. I would even say Spurgeon believes in the elect, meaning there are certain folk who are going to heaven and there are certain folk who are going to hell and God's kind of ordained that. So I, I, that's not my camp, okay? That's, so if, if you're in that camp, God bless you, but that's not where I am. I lean on the Armenian side, the Wesleyan Armenian side, where scripture tells us Old Testament, New Testament, God, God wants all to be saved. And I know that uh, my friends on the other side of this would interpret it a little differently, but I would interpret that, that if God wants all to be saved, then it would be kind of sadistic if God wants all to be saved, to be hypocritical. If God wants all to be saved, and yet he doesn't allow all to be saved, right? So that for me, that just doesn't compute. Um, the robot, for those, <laughs> I'm going to date myself, for those in uh, Lost in Space, the robot, Will, Will Robinson, Will, danger, danger, Will Robinson, that does not compute. And so, we, we, so that doesn't compute with me. In, in my understanding of God and the character of God and the understanding of the word of God. So you get two bungee cords. Take the, take the bungee cord in your right hand. It's attached on the far right-hand side, way over there. But you take that right, you take that bungee cord in your right hand. You take another bungee cord attached to the far left side over here somewhere. And you take that in your left hand. And you get into like a squat stance. You kind of get, because you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of tension here in just a second. That's the key word. And so you take this bungee cord in your right hand, right? And you pull this as hard as you can to your, to, to your chest. So you've got this bungee cord. If you can imagine, you've got this bungee cord and you're in this you're in this <clears throat> um, uh, uh, squat position because uh, you want a lot of uh, a lot of strength in your legs and your upper body, and you pull this 
bungee cord to your to, to your chest, if you will, right? And you, there's a lot of tension. It's almost like shaking. You take this other bungee cord in your left hand and you pull this right to your left chest and you hold these two together. And I'm try, I'm doing it right now as I'm talking. And, and, and it's almost like your, your right hand and your left hand are shaken because of the amount of stress and tension and pressure that are on those bungee cords. You know what bungee cords are meant to do? Bungee, bun, you know, they go back, right? And so here there's the tension. And at some point you're going to get tired. I'm going to get tired of holding these bungee cords. I'm going to have to let go of one. If one of those bungee cords is God's sovereignty, if one of those bungee cords is man's free will, I think a lot of times in Christian circles, we let go of the free will one, right? And somehow it helps us to understand that God does all things. Somebody dies, like, well, Jeff, commit suicide. And it just somehow it helps us cope when we say things like this. God needed him in heaven. God needed an angel. By the way, we don't become angels when we die. God knows better than we do. Amen. But does that mean that God created Jeff and caused Jeff and led Jeff to commit suicide? Surely that's not what we mean, right? Surely that's not what we mean. So if, if God is sovereign, and I 100% agree God is sovereign, but I also 100% agree that man has free will. If man doesn't have free will, the thing in the garden doesn't make a lot of sense. God creates a perfect garden, tells you what not to do. You do it. Adam and Eve get cursed for it. Mankind has to live in that curse, right? And do we understand all, do we understand all of that? We don't. Could we say, why did God even give the choice? Well, we know that we think that's because God loves us enough to give us a choice. He doesn't want, he doesn't want a bunch of robots, right? So does, you know, somebody's gonna have to explain to me the, the, the promised land. When God tells the Israelites, go into the land today and take it. And only Joshua and Caleb were ready to go. The other 10 spies said no, and the people followed. And there's 40 years of wilderness wanderings, right? Because why? Man chose free will versus God's will. Somebody is going to have to explain to me the Garden of Gethsemane. On that, on that Thursday night, when Jesus is with his disciples and three, the inner circle, go with him, only to sleep under an olive tree while he goes a little further, falls to the ground, and he cries out. Y'all know it. He cries out. Y'all can quote it. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Somebody's going to have to explain to me, if, if there is not a tension between free will and God's sovereign will, man's perfect, man's will that sometimes creates, many times creates chaos, and God's perfect will, Somebody's going to have to explain to me the Garden of Gethsemane, guys. Somebody's going to have to explain to me how in the world does that... See, what I see in the Garden of Gethsemane is this spiritual tension, this spiritual bungee cord. And I think as Christians who have faith... See, and here's the good news about verse 28. If we trust if we are in love and if we've allowed God to come into our life, then even the free will things can cause somehow good, can be turned into good. God can turn the free will things into his will somehow. That's 
more his sovereignty than anything else, where he can take even the horrible things of life and turn them into good. What a man. So instead of saying, only this can be done, only my will can be done. No, he says, my will be done. That's the best will. But even if you do your will, if you trust me and you surrender that to me after the chaos has passed, because I think free will almost always causes free, almost always causes chaos, right? So if you trust me with your free will decisions and consequences, I can make good come out of it. Doesn't that speak even volumes, even more volumes of God's sovereignty? I don't have all the answers for sure. Romans 8, 28, beautiful, powerful verse. But I do invite us to hold the bungee cords of God's sovereign, perfect will and man's chaotic, free will. We have a choice. And those choices, yes, they turn into consequences. But praise be to a good, good, gracious God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, even our free will cannot negate the good that could come out of things if we surrender them to God. But we must surrender them to God for his sovereignty to work even in our free will. Be blessed as you wrestle with the bungee cords of God's sovereignty and of God's of man's free will. Pastor Tim is the co-founder and teaching director of the Joshua Center, a leadership training ministry which provides deep biblical roots to great movements of God. He's also the senior pastor of Firmers Chapel, a country church by a creek, reaching 13 countries on four different continents for Jesus and his kingdom. Join us next time as we grow deeper in the person and the power.